this morning. Welcome the visitors here. Thank you for coming to worship the Lord with us this morning. Just notice an interesting observation here this morning. I guess I ought to have the mic. An interesting observation here this morning is that over here on the sister's side, I see a lot more coats than I do on the men's side. Oh, this corner over here is cold. Okay. Anyways, we'll uh, continue to work with the heating system, heating cooling system that this building offers us, I trust. All right, well, why don't we just uh, begin this time with a word of prayer. Why don't we all stand to our feet for prayer this morning? <clears throat> Father in heaven, it's with joy that we come before your holy throne because there is blood on the mercy seat, because of your glorious plan of salvation for humanity. And thank you this morning that that glorious plan has been revealed to us as a body. And today we can respond to that gospel. And Lord, as we heard and understand more deeply this morning your word and how you deal with humanity and how you deal with the church and how we should look at sin, And all of that, Father, we recognize the beauty of your plan. Thank you, Father, for Christ being willing to go all the way to the cross so that today we can be clear and we can have the assurance of salvation and we can be gracious with others. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help us to get all the mileage that you intend for us to get out of that message and live in the reality of it. And I just pray that our church could be a thriving, encouraging, blessing church in the years to come because of that very truth. And I pray that you would bless each one here this morning. I pray, Lord, as we look more into the Word of God, into what you have for us, Lord, that you would just encourage our hearts here this morning together as we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning I would like to consider a subject that is a little difficult to know how to get into because I guess I'm a little sensitive to how maybe some of you could process it or could wonder why I'm talking about it or some of you could probably even feel like I wonder if he's talking to me. And I'd like to tell you this morning that I'm not. I, uh, just through my own personal uh, readings, I uh, found myself the last little while um, enjoying the book of Jude and reading the book of Jude and then knowing I was going to be sharing. And uh, just some considerations out of that book and some considerations of my own personal struggles, I felt God wanted me to talk a little bit about this subject and hopefully give all of us some encouragement this morning. Um, I, I titled it, I, I, I was thinking different things for a title and then I kind of forgot about it until I ready to go out the door. I'm not big with titles and I came up with Enduring God's Chastening. And I think as you go along, I'll, you understand why I would have chosen a title such as that. And you can turn to the book of Jude. I'm not going to be spending a lot of time actually in Jude, even though it was in the book of Jude that I kind of got a burden for this here subject. So you can turn there. Maybe I'll just go ahead and read the first 
uh, three verses. Um, but the phrase that, that stands out to me here that I'd like to just draw our attention to for a little bit is where he talks about and he exhorts us to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Maybe I'll just focus on that here a little bit. Earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And, you know, then you can go on through the rest of the book of Jude. And actually where I was spending most of my consideration, and I will tell you this, I'd like to end up here at the end of the message, the last six or seven verses in the book of Jude. However, we have uh, quite a large section there in the middle of Jude that gives somewhat of a negative picture because it talks about entering in false teachers, uh, the false teachers, false teachers entering in. Uh, maybe I'll just read a few verses that says in verse four, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. They're ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put your remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord saved his people out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. So then it goes on and gives different examples, as I read there. One of them is how the children of Israel fell away and how God judged them. It talks about even the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, how they were judged. And it gives a negative uh, things there of some of the judgments of God in history past. And, and of course, it talks about the entering in of these false teachers. And it goes on down through. I'm not going to read all of that. But it goes down through and it eventually ends up and gives, in fact, in verse 20 it begins, it says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in the most, most holy faith, and goes on, which we want to eventually conclude there. However, I'd like to talk to us this morning about discouragement. I'd like to talk to us about discouragement. And I believe that, you know, as we look at this scripture here in the middle of Jude, there's quite a number of discouraging things taking place. And, you know, I believe, I really do believe that we live in an interesting time in history. I think on one hand, we are probably the most knowledgeable. You know, we've had, we have uh, just storehouses of Christian books, Christian literature. We possibly have even a deeper understanding when it comes to some of these deep things that we heard this morning that in history past they didn't have, even though the, the Word of God has been here for many, many years. But we live in a very interesting time in history. On one hand, we're just a very blessed people all that we have at our fingertips. You know, we have a burden to get the gospel into the whole world. On one hand, you know, there we are. We have, we have tremendous ways of communication, tremendous ways of transportation, uh, staying in touch with missionaries and all those kind of things. You know, we just live in a, in a, in a, uh, you know, here we are. We're here this morning and some of us are probably sitting here saying, I wish I wasn't cold. And we have our coats on and we can even complain about that. But you know, we're just a very blessed people. Most of us have a thermostat in our house. We can adjust it. And we can get the temperature. We can get the temperature there just right. You know, that's the day we live in. We live in a very blessed time. However, all of us would have to acknowledge we live in a very dangerous time. We live in a very dangerous time. We live in very deceptive times. I believe we live in times where we don't know what all we're going to see in this world yet. There is a tremendous deterioration of values. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of... of uh, you know, just false teaching and, and just all kinds of things that mar and make the gospel all murky. And we realize that we live in those days. Why am I saying all that? I'm just saying all that to say that I realize that we live in a time and we also live in a time of much intense pressure, I believe, on the family. 
I really believe we, we live that. For example, we live in a time where, in a culture where our society has adjusted to a dual income living. And I really believe that in the days and weeks and years and months to come, it could become more challenging to make a living and, and raise God. You know, we have all those kind of things. We can look at the negative aspect and we can become discouraged. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? I mean, do you experience that sometime? So I'd like to just consider some of those things because when we're discouraged, and, 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 and I will be totally honest with you, I, I, for whatever reason, battle with more of that in the past weeks and months than I did at one time in my life, and I don't fully understand that. But I also have the testimony that I am so thankful that when I get serious before God with my need, God always gives me hope and encouragement to go on. And I've experienced that this week. You know, I, I sometimes, there's just a number of things, life looks big. And, and I get to the place where I cry out to God. And, and, and I just had some of those joyful times this week of going out in a clear blue uh, moonlight sky and just experience the presence and the beauty of, of living in the reality of my sins forgiven, knowing that I'm free. Something happened to me, I'd be ushered into the presence of the Lord. And what a tremendous freedom and glory and blessing and all of that. However, I say all that to you to say this morning that I'm talking to myself. I'm not talking to anybody else because I realize, and you know, when we become dis- when we become discouraged or depressed or you know whatever word we want to use, there are feelings of being overwhelmed. And you know, sometimes when those kind times come, we just wish life didn't have to go on. You ever feel like that? You just wish life didn't have to go on. You wouldn't have to face another day. Life looks big. Somehow wishing we could escape life. And, you know, I believe there is a lot of things, there's a a lot of different things that, reasons as to why from sometimes we find ourselves there. I acknowledge there is. It could be medical. It could be spiritual. It could just simply be the spiritual battles that we're dealing with. It could just simply have to do with life's difficulties. We all live in life. We all experience difficulties. We all have health issues. We understand those things, we all have different things we face. Maybe some of it has to do with, with personal failure, own personal failure, and we're living the result, with the result of some mistakes we made in life, and sometimes they can get us down. Sometimes they can be circumstances totally outside of our control. And when those kind of things happen, sometimes life ahead just looks like a huge mountain. And we wonder how we're ever going to get over it, how we're ever going to get around it. And life looks big. My desire is this morning that we can have our hearts somehow encouraged to go on when life looks big. And you know, one of my biggest concerns, or I could say a reality that I know that it is, and that is the devil knows when we're weak. And that's when he can come and tell us all kind of lies. I really believe that. He is our enemy. The devil whispers lies, I believe, to those in moments of despair. Some of his lies are, just give up. You don't qualify, you're nobody. Why even try? Others don't struggle like you do. You could be enjoying a better life. The Christian life isn't worth it. Maybe even telling you just to relax and become part and be a nominal Christian. You know, he comes with all kinds of lies when we're down. And this morning, I'd like to somehow together, if we could have our Hearts encouraged. Godly men in the Bible. Is there godly men in the Bible that were ever discouraged? Let's think about that. Who in the Bible? What for godly men in the Bible were ever discouraged? 
Elijah was discouraged. That's right. Elijah was discouraged. And was he living a life of total failure when that happened? Tremendous what Elijah uh, just went through. That Mount Carmel experience. Now, we know that he was also running for his life. I think it was Jezebel was out to get him. And there he was. He was by the... Was he by a juniper tree? I wrote it down. It says, here I have a verse. It says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came down and sat and sat down under a juniper tree and requested that he might die. And he said, it is enough, Lord. That was Elijah. What are some more? John the Baptist. Hadn't thought about him. David. David was down. David was down. We have quite a few Psalms. And you know, I appreciate David so much. David is such a... David had his own personal failure. We recognize he did, but David had a lot of battles to face in life. And I just appreciate so many of his psalms. He's just he's crying out to God in desperation. But many times you get to the end of the psalm, he's got a hold of God. He's got a hold of God. And I so appreciate that about David. What are some more? Caleb. Moses. That's right. I was thinking of Moses. God bless you. You know, this morning we talked about Moses. He was the one that an interesting, such an outstanding man, you know, as he led the children of Israel. But he came to a point where he just asked God, "Why don't you just take me?" You know, it, it was when it was there in Numbers 11 where the children of Israel just they were complaining and they were just having all their problems there, and it got to the point where it got the best of Moses. And actually, he was also overwhelmed with life's responsibilities. However, Moses, he's another one. That's right. Um, we have Judah there with uh, there in Nehemiah, where they were. They came back, and it was Nehemiah that was to build the wall, and they were dealing with all the the Jews. Where there was the um, they were getting intense pressure from others just to quit off building, and and finally uh, the the people said it's enough. Uh, we'll maybe refer to that a little bit later. Uh, they were ready to leave off building the walls. They became discouraged. Asaph is another one in Psalm 73, verse 2 and 3. It says, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. I had well nigh slipped, for I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Why don't we turn to that one? Psalms chapter 73. I want to read some of the, the verses there after, after we have those two verses. Uh, just read a number of verses. He says in verse 2, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Of the wicked. Verse 4, For there are no bands in their death. Their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasses them as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. You see, he's looking at those outside of his circle. They are corrupted and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heaven and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither and the waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? Is there no knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. All the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. 
When I thought to know this, this was too painful for me. Later we might read the rest of that psalm when he finally gets his thinking right. You know, here Asaph had a time of wrong thinking. He was looking at the things that, you know, how the world was prospering around him. And we see him coming to that end. Uh, Joshua was another one. Joshua was another one. And this was because there was sin in the camp. And it was there when Achan had took of the um, the Babylonish things there and, and sinned. And they had lost that. Uh, they lost that battle there with Ai. And he said, would to God we had been content to just live on the other side of the Jordan. So we find Joshua at, at times got weary in life. Job was another when he said, my soul is weary of my life. I will leave off my, I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. And we know there with Job, we all know the story of Job, how Job, I believe, was a godly man and how God took him through that immense time of testing. And he said, I'm weary of my life. And I believe he was requesting to die. And then we also know the tragedy. You know, there's been many men of God. I believe there's been many men of God that went through times of discouragement and then they got a hold of God and they went on. And that's the will of God for us. But then we have the sad fate of Judas. We have the sad fate of Judas because of his sin. And rather than repenting, he went out and took his own life. You know, this morning, like I said, my desire is that I could give all of us here some encouragement. You know, I believe that life deals things that cause us to have to face battles in life. You know, I am not this morning trying to give us the idea that we get a hold of God to the extent that we get a hold of God, that we can live this vigorous Christian life and not hit any bumps. Neither do I want to give us the idea this morning that I find myself in despair and discouragement and despondency that causes me to recoil back into the shell and live the rest of our life like that. I believe it's God's, it's not God's will that we live our life like that. I believe it's God's will that we get a hold of the grace of God. But I believe it's healthy for us to understand that God's people do face battles. God's people do find and live sometimes with things that look bigger than what we can handle. But I would like to give us encouragement this morning that there is a God and there is grace to get a hold of that we like Joshua can say, give me this mountain and find the grace of God to conquer those battles that we have for us. I'd like if we would turn to the book of Hebrews. And this is a familiar passage to us, I'm sure. Hebrews chapter 12, encouraged. I think it's right that we recognize this morning as we think of this subject. I think it's important that we recognize how God deals with His children. God has a purpose and a reason as to why He deals with His children this morning, I believe, the way He does. And I think it's right that we recognize that. I think it's right that we recognize sometimes God takes us through some extreme difficulties. God takes us through battles in life. God calls us to go through valleys that we certainly don't ask for. But I believe it's through those times and those experiences that God does greater things in our hearts than what we recognize. I really believe it is. Hebrews 12. I'm going to read 6 through 12. 
For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourges every son whom he receiveth. If ye do, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present time seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up your hands which hang down and the feeble knees. I'll read the next verse. Yet it makes straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. You know, I'd like to ask a question this morning or consider something this morning. Have you ever sat down with your little two-year-old or three-year-old when you took him into the closet and you were about to inflict pain to his bottom side because you knew what he needed? Have you ever tried to have your child understand that what you're about to do is a very loving thing? Is it possible to take that little two or three year old and help him to understand that you're just, what you're about to do is going to cause some intense pain and explain to him how this is, this is, this is just a good thing. This is, this is, this is where it's at. Does that make any sense to him? Logically. That makes no sense to him. And you know, this morning I'd like to help us to understand as we consider that very thing. You know, there is times in life where God does not make sense. Uh, I, I trust you will agree with me there. And if I am stepping out on the limb, if I'm giving you any kind of inf- whatever that I shouldn't be, you talk to me afterward. But, you know, there is times that God does call his children to go through things that just simply don't make sense because God knows what's best, because it is part of God's chastening hand in our lives. Sometimes God does not make sense. And you know, I believe when Brother Earl sits down with his little children and he gives them a discipline for whatever reason, I am sure Brother Earl always knows that he has the good of this child in mind. Does he not? And is that not how it is with God when God uses and has His chastening hand upon our lives? God always has our good in mind. And, you know, I had to think, you know, as I was considering this whole subject, I had to think of the scripture, I believe it's back in Matthew 18, where it talks about, except we become as little children, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And then I had to think about this passage here, and I had to think of the loving, chastening hand of the Lord. And, you know, as I considered that whole subject, I thought, you know, that is one of the very reasons why it's so important that we as fathers never, ever, 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 Discipline our children in anger. As I consider that subject. Because God doesn't do it that way to us. Even though it hurts. You know it says here that. It talks here. He said it says in verse 6. He scourgeth every son 
whom he receiveth. You know, the word scourging there means to flog or to whip. Now, I don't fully understand that, but that sounds to me like a painful process, does it not to you? God takes us through those kind of painful processes because he has our good in mind. You know, this morning, I would like to somehow instill it in each one of our hearts, including to my own heart. It says here in verse 7, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the Father chasteneth not? Somehow, if we can understand the chastening, God's chastening hands is actually a token of God's love for us. Is it possible this morning that we can look at it that way? God's chastening hand. You know, when we come to a situation, a bump in life, a very difficult situation that's before us, we must always remember that God has my best in mind for that situation, whatever it is. God has my best in mind, and I have not always done so good at that. It says, if ye endure chastening, that just simply means to remain there or to undergo that thing, to endure chastening. If we can endure chastening as such and consider it, as part of God's loving hand to us. And I trust this morning as we consider all of that, it can be an encouragement to us as we go through life and we face some of the challenging things that God has for us. Verse 8 says, But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are betakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. And if I understand that word bastard there, it actually means illegitimate. And I don't know what to do with a verse like that, but I believe it simply means that if, if you know, God, God is God and He will chasten His children. If you're a legitimate child of God, you are a blood-bought Christian this morning, expect that God will have chastening challenges for you. I don't know how to view it other than that. Because if we're a legitimate child of God this morning, we should expect chastisement. And I tell you this morning, I am looking for the day when I get to go home to be with God and no more chastening. You know, that's going to be the most blessed part of our full redemption. When we get there, that chastening will be over. Praise the Lord. But as long as we're on this side of eternity, as long as we're working through and dealing with the things we heard this morning, some of those, some of those sins that are in our life that we don't see, as long as we're on this side of eternity, we're going to have those things that we have to face and we have to deal with. It says here, Furthermore, we've had the fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Oh, the joy of a parent when he does those chastisements to his children and his children respond like we want them to respond. How much more... Our Father in Heaven, our spiritual Father, when we respond to correction, uh, how much more we ought to respond to that correction in a godly way as we compare that with our own children. Uh, we talked about the results. Verse 11, it says, Now no chastening for this present time seemeth to be joyous, but rather grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You know, God has holiness in mind. God wants to make us holy. It's all part of His process this morning, I believe, and Him making Him and us into what He wants us to be. Now, I will also acknowledge, I had actually alluded to it a little bit before, but I do believe that, that there are those choices that we make 
And there are those choices that we make that as a result of that, we are going through difficulties and those kind of things. Maybe it's not always because of the chastening hand of God. Uh, somebody lives a wasted life. There is uh, consequences that uh, called the law of sowing and reaping that we have to live with and have to deal with. However, I think it's right that we understand the way God deals in his chastening hand with his children. I would like also to just look at a number of different things as we consider this subject. You know, I think there is a lot of things, as I said, that can cause uh, people to become discouraged, that we live in discouragement. Um, and this morning, I'd just like to look at a number of different practical things and give some recommendation here this morning that we can live a life uh, that we don't have to live in that all the time. One of the things I would like to suggest to us this morning is here that we have a good, healthy dose of kingdom perspective Christianity. You know, I think one of the things that can cause for great discouragement, maybe I'm thinking more along the line of a youth now, but not only in the line of a youth, if we, you know, if we try to get the both out of the best out of both worlds. You know, it does not it does not work to live the Christian life with one foot in the church and one foot in the world. I believe that's a I believe that's something that we need to we need to take into consideration here this morning as we consider this subject. And I'd like to encourage us this morning to be totally yielded in our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, totally submitted and committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the, mercies of our, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and, perf- that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This morning I would like to suggest to us that we live our lives a sold out sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Philippians 4, 13 and 14. Philippians 4, 13 and 14. I'm going to suggest this as a motto for our lives. Brethren, I count not myself to apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reach forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's learn to make him and let him be the Lord of our life and live our lives totally dedicated and devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and submit and yield ourselves to the authorities that God brings into our lives. I think we'll be a means to living a clear Christian life rather than that frustrated Christian life of trying to serve two masters. I'd like to look just a little bit. I'd referred to it before to David. We're going to look at Psalms 42 now. If you want to turn to Psalms 42. We had referred to David earlier. He was one that found himself sometimes discouraged. And just look at where David finds himself here in Psalms 42, it says, As a heart panteth after the water brooks, so my soul, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. 
My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept the holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the health of his countenance. For I shall yet praise him for the health of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember thee from the land of, from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill Mazar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of the water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me. And my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I a mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me. While they say daily unto me, Where is thy God? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Here we have Dave, David seemingly sunk down into deep depression. And he says, Why art thou cast down? Why art thou disquieted in me? I believe he, his soul was in great commotion and turmoil here. He says, thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Do we get an idea here this morning how David was feeling? Thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. I don't know if David knew what it was like to be out there in the ocean and these huge waves coming, these powerful waves, but I believe that's what he was experiencing. Have you ever felt like that? He feels here like the waves and the billows are going over him. He feels like it's too much for him to handle. And then he says, my soul is cast down within me. Verse 9, he says, why have you forgotten me? Have you ever felt like God forgot you? I imagine some of you did. You wonder, God, where are you? God, have you forgotten me? God, why all of this? Has God ever forgotten David? Has God ever forgotten you? We know that. But that's what David was experiencing. He feels like God forgot him. Do you think Job felt that way in his despair I'm sure he did sometimes we feel that way we wonder God have you forgotten about me God this is more than I can handle you know maybe it's when a tragedy strikes and I know God has asked some of you to go through heartrending experiences I know you have when all of a sudden news comes of, of a close death or, or a serious health issue you know, those, those kind of things are, are part of our life and our natural response is, God, have you forgotten? God, what is happening? And you know, in those moments, in those times, it's very easy to go down into deep despair if we don't get a hold of God. And you know, it's in those times, I think it's very important that we understand that God's dealings with my life doesn't always make sense. There's a lot of things in life that I don't understand. There's a lot of questions from a logical standpoint that I would ask, that, that, that I'm many times motivated to ask God, God, what is going on? Have you forgotten me? 
He says in verse 10, As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me, while they say unto me daily, Where is thy God? You talk about adding affliction to affliction. Now here David is, he's, he's, he's in the turmoil of his soul. He's going through a very difficult time. He's trying to understand God and he can understand God. And then he has people coming to him saying, Hey, where is your God anyway? You know, it gives you a little bit of a, maybe a picture into what Asaph was going through there when he's talking about his steps had well nigh slipped. He looks out there in the world and he's, it just looks like everybody's prospering. Out there they don't have problems like we have here in the church. Out there things go well. You know, look, look, at, look at their lifestyle. Look at what they're doing. It looks like they all have all the money they, they desire. It looks like they're paying their bills as no problem. It looks like they're just enjoying life. It looks like they're just living it up. They're doing all those things. And here I am. We're part of this group, this body, and we're struggling. We're, we're having difficulties. We're working through difficult situations. Anyway, going through those kind of moments, and then they come and say, where is, where is your God anyway? And, you know, I realize, and we've heard about it the, the concluding night of our Bible school, you know, the, the churches, and the churches, it comes pretty close home, have gone through some deep struggles. And, you know, it would be reason enough for those out there to say, hey, where is your God anyway? Where is your God? And we recognize a lot of them are because some of those sins that were talked about this morning where we need to be gracious with each other. But, you know, God is there. God is there. And, you know, I think it's only right that we acknowledge that the man that we're talking about here is a man that had a heart after God's own heart. A man that had a heart after God's own heart. You know, if you read verses 1 and 2 there, he says, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so pants my soul after God. Here you have a man who has a soul that is panting after God, yet he's going through those things. It says in verse 3 that tears have been his meat day and night. Okay, and there it says it, while they say unto me, where is thy God? God, uh, David here, I believe, is a godly, upright man because verse 4 says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. You know, I think sometimes that's one of the reasons, I know that's my testimony, one of the reasons I think why God brings afflictions and trials and challenges in my life, and I say that to my shame because it's when those things come that really motivate me to get serious with God sometimes. And I think God knows we need that. God knows I need that. Shame on me. You know, we ought to be able to get a hold of God without those trials and afflictions coming, but we all know that we live in the flesh and our natural response isn't always crying out to God like we should in a relationship with Him. But when those kind of bumps and difficulties and things come upon us, it motivates us to cry out to God. You know, when we think of David's life, you know, running from Saul, the Bible school students heard a lot about that the past a week or two ago here. You know, David would have would have been one that, that could have, you know, he had just a lot of trials, a lot, you know, a lot of his life was spent running from the king and from his father-in-law, from Saul there. One of the things that David does in verse 6, he says, My soul is cast down within me, therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan. Now, I didn't really study all those things, but I think what David was remembering and what he was recognizing, and I think that began turning his heart around where he began trusting God was when he remembered the faithfulness of God. And I'd like to suggest that to us this morning. Regardless 
of the deep valley of despair that we find ourselves going through, let's always remember the goodness of God. God is far better to me than I will ever deserve. And God is far better to you than you will ever deserve. You know, I just, it's so interesting to me. God is, God is a good God. And God, this morning somebody talked about flat spots, mentioned flat spots. You know, we all have them. We all have those ugly flat spots. One of the things I'd like to do, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here this morning, but you know what we so often do? And, and, and this is a reason and a motivation that causes people sometimes to recoil into despair is sometimes what we do anyhow is we compare other people's strengths to our weakness. Or we can do it the other way around and both of them get us, we get each other in trouble. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that later. But here he remembers the goodness of God. Verse 8. We have something to learn from. He said, uh, yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. In the night, his song shall be with me and my prayer to the God of my life. Question I would ask for us this morning is, do we know what it's like to have a song in the night? You know, when we go through that dark valley of despair, we really need to learn to sing. Somebody once told me that singing should always be part of our personal worship experiences because that brings the angels of God close to us. Now, I don't know some of you more theological correct studiers than I can figure that one out, but you know it makes sense to me. Something to do with worshiping, drawing near to God and having a more meaningful, blessed devotion time. But here he's, we're talking here in this scripture here about a song in the night. You know, I think it's very, very important that we learn to have a song in the night. And, you know, I find that to be a blessing to my own soul. And that's an area that I desire to grow in more. I'm not much of a singer, but I love to sing. And I love when I can go home and I know that nobody else is home sometimes and I can just walk through the house and I can sing. Once in a while, I have to look out the window to watch, make sure nobody's coming because I don't want to get caught. But, you know, that's a blessing. And I think we need to learn how to sing. Marlon's laughing. He knows how I sing. But I really believe we need to learn how to sing. And we need to get blessed with our singing. It goes beyond just singing here. David knew how to sing and have his spirit and his soul lifted. And you know, we can laugh this morning and that's okay. But you know, I really believe we need to learn how to sing when we're going through dark times. Because I think that's where the presence of God and the grace of God will meet with us. And he also talks about my prayer should be unto the God of my life. God help us to use some of David's example here. That's where God will meet with us. God is our rock. You know, even though in verse 9 he says, God, you've forgotten me. Yet right before that he acknowledged that God is his rock. Let's always remember that God is our rock. He is our anchor. David kept his heart turned towards God in the middle of his circumstance. And then he concludes in verse 11, says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? You know, I always loved that verse. It almost seems that David here is talking to his own soul. You know, it seems like he's saying, in my terminology, it would be, Brian, what is the matter with you? We, t- we heard about the you at Bible school. John Michael talked about the you. We're never going to escape that you. You will always be you. You will take you with you. You will take you with you all the way into eternity. David, in my mind, is talking here to his you. David, what is wrong with me? Brian, what is wrong with you? Get with it. Get a hold of God. Get a hold of the blessing of God. I believe that's what he's saying. He's saying, Brian, what are you cast down for? 
You know, he sees me when I'm down. What are you cast down for? He's talking to his own soul. You know, sometimes I think it's right that we we just need to recognize the goodness of God. When I'd like to go through as rapidly as I can, just a number of different things. We talked about what can be the cause of discouragement. And you know, the causes of discouragement, like I said, are are various. It can be all kinds of reasons for discouragement. With Joshua's situation where he said, why, don't you, why aren't we back there on the other side of Jordan? That was because there was sin in the camp. And I don't know that I'll take a lot of time to read it. Well, let's at least turn to it in Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. And here is a situation where there, was, where, where there actually was sin in the camp. And that was a reason. And you know, I think when it comes to these things, we, we have to acknowledge sin for what it is. And here we come to verse 7. Um, no wonder it wasn't making sense. I was in Judges. We come to verse 7 and Joshua is discouraged because of what happened. And that simply was because there was sin in the camp. And you know, it's an interesting observation here in verse 1. You know, we have to, we must always recognize the seriousness of sin. Sin is a serious thing. Sin is a serious thing. And sin was a very serious thing here and it hindered Israel from having uh, victory when they went to conquer Ai. And you know, an interesting verse here in verse 1, it says, But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. You want something interesting to discuss sometime on a Sunday afternoon. Maybe when Myron's present, he can help you figure that out. But is it not interesting that God was not only angry, by the appearance, if I understand this verse right, God was not only angry at Achan because he took the accursed thing. If I'm understanding it right, the way it's written here, God was actually angry with the children of Israel because they took of the accursed thing. And I don't know the, all the results of that. It was because they went to take Ai and they weren't able to do it. And, you know, to their shame, they ended up fleeing and it cost a lot of them their lives because that sin was in the camp. However, I'm only saying that here to say that, you know, serious sin is a serious thing. You know, we have to, as a church, recognize sin is a serious thing. We have to recognize in our homes, sin is a serious thing. It hinders the working of God in our lives. Sin hinders the working of God in our lives. And it rendered, it rendered them powerless. And we have no reason to believe that in the Christian church today, if we just allow sin to fester, or sin to fester in my personal life, it will, it will render us powerless. Have you ever gone out to do soul winning and you're wanting to testify for the Lord Jesus and a lump rises in your throat because you know there's something standing between you and God? I think it's very important that we learn to take care of our sin. I really believe it is. Okay, we'll move on to the next one I'd like to consider, and that's just simply unbelief. The cost is too high. The price is too great. Second uh, Corinthians twelve seven through 10. I think this might be the one where he's talking about the Thorn in the flesh. Second Corinthians twelve seven through ten. Yes, it is. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, 
lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. But he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. You know, here Paul was experiencing this thorn in the flesh, whatever it was, and it did not deter him. It did not stop him. It did not make him recoil back in unbelief, but rather he kept on going with what God had for him. And this morning I'd like to encourage us that way when we have those kind of difficulties, uh, whether whatever our thorn in the flesh might be that it doesn't motivate us to recoil back in unbelief and not believe God, not respond to life like we should, but rather that we would continue, that we would continue going. You know, as I had shared earlier, uh, numbers 11 there it was it was the children of Israel they they you know they were complaining and they were murmuring against Moses rather than you know it was through their their wilderness experience as we go through our experience our wilderness experiences let's not recoil in unbelief number three something I'd like to consider this morning that will assist us in not living in a life of discouragement is I think we need to be a thankful people. Maybe some of you are disappointed this morning because we're not having a Thanksgiving message the week of Thanksgiving. But if we could just allude to it a little bit this morning, one of the things I think that will be of great encouragement to us if we learn to be a grateful people. We learn to be a thankful people. We don't live in ingratitude. You know, there in Second Timothy chapter 3, we're not going to turn to it, where it gives a list of the things that are going to make perilous times, perilous times in the last days. It gives a list of various sins, and one of them is unthankfulness. I think it's right that we be a grateful people. I think a good, healthy, uh, or maybe I'll say it this way, a pessimistic outlook on life can and will get us into a lot of trouble. I think it's, it's wise that we learn to shift out of a pessimistic attitude to an optimistic attitude. I think, you know, that, that's an area that I, that I have struggled with in the past tremendously of being a pessimistic person. And I believe there is value in us shifting gears and learning how to be an optimistic person. That's my testimony. I'm trying to become more of an optimistic person in life. It will help us to live the life that God wants us to live this morning. And I think we have to give room for each other when it comes to that one. But I think it's right that we look at the bright side of life. Like some people said, is your cup half empty or is it half full? I've also heard, you've heard a statement already, if life deals you a lemon, learn to make lemonade. Add sugar to it. You know, I think we need to learn how to be a optimistic person. Uh, Romans 12, we can probably quote it. Maybe I can't. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Somebody say it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present... No, I'm, I'm in Romans. I'm in Romans. Talking, I believe it's the second verse that talks about the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of God. That's the verse. Yeah, we need to look at the bright side of life. I want to keep moving here. 
some of them I should probably just skip over. But, you know, uh, another one there was with, with, with Nehemiah. You know, they were there in the middle, I believe, of rebuilding the walls. They were there in the middle of rebuilding the walls, and it talks about Judah. I think it was just referring to the people. I believe they got weary, and they were ready to give up. They were ready to leave off building. And it was Nehemiah that came along, and he gave them the encouragement they, they, they needed to continue building. And it's, it's, uh, it's some interesting verses there in, in Nehemiah chapter 4. I'll just read a few of them. They, they got to the point where they just left off building because of things that were taking place, the persecution that was coming their way. It was those that were trying to stop them. And then it's Nehemiah that says, Therefore I set in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places. I even set the people before the families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said to the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren and for your sons and for your daughters and for your wives and for your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us that God brought their counsel to naught, and we returned every one of us to the wall, every one of us to his work. And I'm not going to read the rest of the verses of that chapter, but we see eventually the work was completed. And I believe it was because of the optimistic attitude of Nehemiah that got the people back to work building the walls and working together. And I would encourage us this morning, let's learn to be that kind of people. You know, we know there is a lot of negative things in the world, a lot of negative things happening. Three other verses that blessed me this week as we consider that thought yet is in Habakkuk. I'll read it to you real quickly here. The last three verses says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, Neither shall fruit be on the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon high places to the chief singer on my stringed instruments." There is quite a number of other things I was going to look at, but I'm going to just have to skip over some of them. One of the reasons why Moses had given up hope and he asked God to kill him was because I believe at that point he had lots of overwhelming responsibilities. And uh, and it was actually another time where his father-in-law came and met him there um, on their journey and helped to delegate some responsibilities. And there is a time to do that. Another uh, another thing for us to consider, I believe that sometimes makes us feel overwhelmed is life is busy. Life is busy. Sometimes life is too busy. You know, I would I would guess in a group this size, some of us probably are not busy enough, and some of us probably are too busy. But I, for myself, think it's right that we get to the place and realize I'm pretty much resolved in my own personal life. I believe life is going to be busy, and I think it's wise that we learn to get adjusted to a busy life. Well, there was numerous other things I was going to look at, but I don't want to keep us here a whole lot longer. Um, Maybe another time I can look at some of those things that I believe brings overwhelming responsibilities, but I'm going to want to be wrapping things up here. Maybe what I'll do is just go back to the book of Jude and conclude here in, in the book of Jude where we started out at, and just look at the last 
number of verses to give us some encouragement. And like I said, these were actually the verses that I felt like God was impressing on my heart as I think of this whole thing of becoming overwhelmed with life. And when we think of the day that we live in, that motivates, I believe, a lot of discouragement in this our day. I would just like us this morning to just consider these last number of verses in the book of Jude of what God would have to say to us here in this book, these last few verses. Uh, verse 20, he says, of course, this is after, this is after he's given all that, all those, uh, things in the last days. Verse 16 talks about murmurs, complainers walking after their own lust. Um, goes on down through, uh, verse 19, these are they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. And then he comes down in verse 20, and this is us. This is, I believe, what God is saying to us this morning. We are part of the Beloved. We're part of the Beloved. We're part of those that are part of Christ's camp. He says, but ye, Beloved, building up yourselves in the most holy faith. Building up yourselves in the most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Maybe just make a few comments there. Building ourselves up in the most holy faith. I think we heard this morning with the teaching that we heard this morning. Was that building up to you? I think we learned, we need to learn how to build each other up in these last days that we live in in the most holy faith. I think we need to learn how to encourage each other in the most holy faith. He talks about building ourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Let's learn to stay in the love of God and looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And then he says, And of some having compassion, making a difference. Be one of those that make a difference. Be one of those that has a heart of compassion. You know, in all reality, these last five verses gives us the idea of getting our eyes off of ourself. You know, sometimes that can be the best, the best motivation and stimulant, for lack of a better word, is to get our eyes off our own problems and get our eyes on blessing others. You know, there's a tremendous encouragement that I think we all receive when we learn how to be a blessing to others. And I know most of you probably have that figured out way ahead of me. I know sometimes when I come home with my wife, you know, sometimes life is overwhelming. She's homeschooling. She's caring for children. She's doing all these what sometimes mothers probably call mundane things in the home. And my wife just longs to get out of the home to serve somebody else. And sometimes me as a husband, I say, well, honey, you're worn out. What do you want to do that for? But, you know, it's those kind of things that actually encourage us when we learn how to focus others. It says, of some having compassion make a difference. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted with the flesh, to be actively involved in the salvation of souls, hating even the garments spotted with the flesh. And then we have the blessing here, the last couple of verses that we're used to. It says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and present you faultless before his presence with the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. You know, it's him that is able, the Lord Jesus Christ, to keep us from falling. And it's him 
that can present us faultly, faultless before his presence, the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That ought to give us some hope and encouragement this morning, is it not? It's him that we have to trust when we go through that valley. It's him that we're relying on for our salvation. I trust this morning that our hearts can be encouraged. I trust this morning that we will be like Joshua when we face those difficulties and say, give me this mountain and get a hold of the grace of God, even though we find ourselves sometimes, many of us do, going through those valleys. Because I'm sure as long as God grants us time, we'll have more valleys to face. We'll have more funerals to go to. There will be those that are close kin to us that will fall away. There will be discouraging, disheartening times. There will be times of busyness and feelings of overwhelmness. But thank God we can get a hold of Him and we can face those challenges. Maybe I'll just read Psalm 73 yet before I close. And that would be after we have Asaph there looking at life the way he should have been where he shifted gears. It says in verse 17, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood I therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou casteth them down into construction. How are they brought into desolation in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. Now he's seeing what the world for what it really is. As he dream when one awakest, so Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved. He says, I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none beside earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed them that go whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near unto God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all thy wonders, all thy works. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Father, that you are a God that gives grace and courage. Father, we thank you that we can look and see that there have been those in history, men of God, that have gone through dark times. And Father, we recognize that you at times cause your children to go through dark and difficult times for a reason. And Father, we thank you this morning that we can recognize that you do chasten those that you love. And Lord, we recognize that it is not always the most pleasant thing, but you have our end in mind. You have our holiness in mind. And Father, we accept that this morning and just ask that your presence would go with your people. We ask, Lord, that you would bless this body of believers. We ask, Lord, though the challenges that we may face ahead at times can be difficult, Father, that you would give each one of us the grace to face the challenges that you have for us in life. Father, we pray your blessing would rest upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.